nobody's dazzled or impressed by you going on and on and on and on and dancing around and and not coming out and saying what you believe and not getting to the point. Today is Saturday, the 2nd of October, first Saturday and Feast of the Holy Guardian Angels. Welcome to episode number 156 of the Barnhart Podcast. This is Mark Dockerty sitting in for Super Nerd, along with Anne and Dr. Matza. Hi, guys. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dr. Matza. Hey, but, um, goodness. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I got the giggles. Hey, Anne. <laughs> How you guys doing? Good. Dr. Matza, you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there. Right on, right on. Now, it's a, it's a rhetorical question because I know you're fine because I hear you in the Matza uh, fall semester, the 20th century, which is so far so fascinating. Mark, you're in there too, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. it is, it is whatever, think, whatever you think you know, there's more that you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Dr. Matza knows. That's right. Well, if I don't know, I can point you to the right people. There you go. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some uh, some current events here today. But before we get into that, does anybody want to talk about First Saturdays or the Guardian Angels? Start off on a good note. Well, a happy note. Um, uh, uh, what I would say about the the Guardian Angels and my Guardian Angel. I mean, I every time I leave the house now, I I invoke him and Saint my him, and we refer to them as as him the same way that we refer to God as him. They're sexless, obviously, because they're non-corporeal, but, you know, they're just so much bigger and <laughs> and stronger than us in every way that um, it, it's only appropriate to use the masculine pronoun. Um, but I don't, I don't talk to him enough, and I, I think that I probably don't give him enough to do. Um, one of the things that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to you know, ask our guardian angels to interact with the guardian angels of other people. And I admit that I, I forget to do that and I don't do it as much as I should. What about you guys? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, I, you know, my, uh, my guardian angels have been getting too many unemployment checks. (laughs) Well, at least he's still on the payroll. (laughs) Well, they're real guys. Um, know that and know that they have, uh, their intellects are, orders of magnitude higher than our own. So you're, you're fighting uh, forces in the spiritual realm that are also uh, intellects that far exceed your own. Mm-hmm. So you, you need your guardian angel out in the real world. And carry him around with you and re- rely on him. You, 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 we need them badly. Yeah, it's not it's not childish. It's not I think a lot of people in today's world think of think of guardian angels as being like almost a, a childish imaginary friend or something like that. And boy, are they gonna be in for quite a surprise. Um I don't know, it's probably not the particular judgment, but uh the general judgment, I think that at minimum that people will will be made to see what exactly it was that was you know right beside them for every moment of their lives um trying trying to help and 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 sadly largely ignored um we're gonna feel pretty dumb i think when we when we realize how much we ignored the massive power that was gifted to us by god himself to help us through life 
I'd say probably the particular judgment because the only two beings at your particular judgment are you and your guardian angel. And, you know, something's going to happen there, either good or bad, but you're also going to be made known of all of the thousands of things that you never knew that your guardian angel did for you. Yeah. Pray about that. Yeah. Okay. How about first Saturdays? It seems to me it should be uh, a Dr. Matza wheelhouse. Ah, yeah. Well, Fatima. Um, in, the, in the period that we're actually covering right now in church history, the 1920s, uh, that is when um, Sister Lucia received a, a vision from Our Lady uh, and I believe it was 1925, in which she asked to for folks to make reparation for all the blasphemies and the sins committed against her, against her Immaculate Heart. And so um, she named five in particular. And so she wanted um, a, uh, a, repara a reparatory devotion that would consist of five months of on the first Saturday of the month, um, with the intention of making reparation to her Immaculate Heart, which, of course, she told them in 1917, God wants to establish in the world devotion to her Immaculate Heart, um, promising to save sinners by this means. And um, so it, what you do is you, you go to confession uh, with this intention, you go to Mass and receive Holy Communion with this intention, and you also uh, recite the Rosary, and if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, you also have to um, spend 15 minutes meditating on the mysteries or a mystery of the Holy Rosary uh, in order to uh, do that successfully. And then you do that for five months. Yes, that that last part is is part of it. The 15 minutes, which always strikes me as something so uh, undemanding. You know, 15 minutes. Can you spare 15 minutes? So um, happily, the FSSP here in Phoenix, they have, after Mass on first Saturday, they, they actually have simple exposition after Mass for 15 minutes. So you can make your, your, um, your rosary meditation, pick, picking, you know, you're supposed to progress through all 15 decades. So it's, it's five for Saturdays, but then there's five after that and five after that and keep on going. Now, Mark, for the listenership who may not know, um, explain the precision between um, simple exposition and uh, full adoration. So full adoration, you would have the host in a monstrance and typically benediction at the end. Simple exposition is just the, the tabernacle is opened and the veiled chalice is is there to be adored mm -hmm. or you're adoring what's in it obviously but uh it's it's without you know the 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 fancier version of the full hour long in a monstrance type deal right you can't you're not eyeball contact with our lord correct in the host because he's he's inside of a covered chiborium with with a veil on it so right right yeah. right ciborium mm -hmm. I, I i said chalice okay Cool. So um, I, I don't really have a list of topics today, but with the current events going on in the church and in the world, I think we'll have enough to talk about. But what I wanted to, to try to center our discussion on um, is the fourth commandment and the idea of, well, first of all, that it is the fourth commandment. 
meaning that it's the, the first commandment that comes after the first three. And the first three, uh, the object of which is God directly. Next comes the fourth commandment, which also is concerned with authority or, or uh, focused directly on authority, the next level down. Right. Um, uh, you know what we should do? We, ha- we have some people listening who um, maybe have forgotten what the commandments are, and we also have some Protestants listening, and they have a different, a different ordering of the commandments. So maybe we should review <laughs> and uh, go through and make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all talking about the same thing. I've, I've had entire email back and forth discussions with people and realized about halfway through that that the person I was corresponding with was was completely um, had their wires crossed as to what commandment I was referring to. You know, they thought the fifth was the sixth or the or something. I, I can't remember what, what right, it was. Right, because I, I, I and it, it's... The counting is off right from the beginning because it's the first two commandments that they combine into the first commandment, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So for Catholics, the first three commandments are, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have any strange gods before me. Two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Three, remember to keep holy the Sabbath. And the fourth is honor your father and mother, which is much broader than what that sounds like. It's, it's all authority, all legitimate authority. And we're also going to talk about illegitimate authority and that uh, bowing to illegitimate authority, especially if it's something related to grave matter, is sinful. Right. We're also going to talk about uh, unjust laws, whether they be from legitimate authority or illegitimate authority. Mm-hmm are no laws at all. If something's an injustice, if something goes directly against that virtue, well, God is perfect justice. So we have a problem. Exactly. Now, the biggest problem comes when you have unjust laws from unjust or illegitimate authority. That's like the double whammy, right? So if you have, let's say, a death injection mandate from an unelected president, that's a problem in more way than one. Yes. And if you have, say, um, innocent contemplative nuns that are being interrogated by uh, an illegitimate papacy or the arm of an illegitimate papacy, that that's there's that's wrong in more ways than one. Exactly, and it it's it goes back to why it is that the argument that there's nothing we can do about this and the Pope's the Pope until the Pope says he isn't the Pope and no, we, none of us have any capacity to make any judgment about any of this. This just speaks to how profoundly wrong that, that is. That whole just trying to sweep it under under the rug and it's not my problem, it's above my pay grade. Can I just say that uh, that is just, at this point, that is one of the most odious turns of phrase that is used in the post-Christian West today is, oh, no, I, I can't do anything about that because that's above my pay grade. Um, but President Obama said that. <laughs> well. <laughs> you mean he's odious? Uh, that is that is the more mild adjective <laughs> that I would use for uh, Barry Satoro, yes. Um, but precisely because 
the determining whether or not uh, a law or an order or a diktat that comes down from a, a putative authority is something that, that can or should be followed, that proceeds directly out of the question of whether or not the authority is just at all and why the questions have to be asked in real time and why we all have to make determinations about this ourselves in real time. Um, because the whole, I mean, Nuremberg, the Nuremberg trials where it was, it was formally codified into law that I'm, I was just following orders is not a valid defense, um, in terms of crimes against humanity and so on and so forth. Okay. If the Nuremberg trials can come to that conclusion, how much more, um, does that apply when we're standing before Christ at our particular judgment and we have the good shepherd discourse, we have the discourse between Christ and the disciples of John the Baptist, where we are specifically told you have to, you have to make these determinations for yourself, wolves, faithless hirelings, et cetera, et cetera. And you as an individual sheep, you will be held responsible for this. So the whole notion that you can just go, oh, go Scarlett O'Hara on these questions and say, oh, fiddle dee dee, um, that's above my pay grade and it can only be determined probably long after I'm dead. I mean, th this is just the epitome of effeminacy. And people are saying, oh, Anne, you use that, you use that word so much, it's just become, it's just become a meaningless trope now. And I, I refuse to back down from using it because it's exactly the correct word for the situation. Effeminacy is the vice wherein you refuse to do something, the, a virtuous good, you, re, you refuse to do a virtuous good because it might reduce your own personal pleasure or comfort in life. And that is what we, we are talking about. It's don't rock the boat. Um, just try, trying to weasel your way out of the personal responsibility that we all have. And so circling back to what to Mark's topic, this this whole notion of the justice of laws, this goes back to Augustine. And it was repeated by St. Thomas Aquinas. And, and the, the phrase is, an unjust law is no law at all. Period. It's simple. If someone tells you that you have to inject poison into your body, that is an unjust law. And whether or not the, the, the putative authority is legitimate or not, that, that order in and of itself, that diktat is illegitimate because it's unjust. No one can ever, ever, ever tell you to harm, harm your body or even to take a risk of harming your body, essentially playing Russian roulette, um, as so many people are finding out with this thing, with the death injection. And it's the same thing with an anti-pope. You have to make a determination about the legitimacy of a man claiming to be the vicar of Christ on earth. You can't just shrug your shoulders and say, it's above my pay grade. Um, you know, fiddle dee dee, I'll think about it tomorrow, Scarlett O'Hara. No, because when this, this wretch Bergoglio starts saying, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, I'm, I'm canceling the mass, I'm, uh, I'm declaring, I'm abrogating the sixth commandment, I'm doing this, that, and the other. How, how can you honestly make the argument that in real time, you have no moral responsibility in and of yourself 
to make a determination about whether or not whether or not this person is legitimate. And I mean, clearly, obviously, he's not. And we're we're preaching to the choir to a large extent here on the podcast. But there, I'm I'm telling you, folks, the vast majority of people who call themselves Roman Catholics today will swear up and down that not only do they have no ability to make any sort of a determination whether or not Jorge Bergoglio was the Pope, but that it is a sin. It is a sin to even contemplate the question. All all you can do is sit around and and this is this cracks me up because it's so stupid. I mean just droolingly droolingly stupid. These people spend their days most of their days I should say um going on and on and on about how Novus Orduism is Novus Orduism is a quote unquote different religion and how um all of the prelates, all of the hierarchy, all of the Roman quiria, the, the whole thing is that they're all a bunch of apostates. And yet in the same breath, they will say it is only from these apostates who we swear up and down, subscribe to a different religion who are not Catholic. You have to wait for them to tell you what it is, what, what reality is, whether or not Jorge Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ on earth. You have to wait for non-Catholics to tell you that is the only authority that's valid and that's the only authority that you can listen to. That, uh, the, the, the just gobsmacking stupidity of that and the fact that these people ca- cannot even see the, the monstrous stupidity that they're, that they're spewing, it really speaks, I think, to... Um, you know, and now we're finding out publicly that a lot of these people have been uh, atheists behind closed doors, and it, it it's an absolute disaster. But yeah, I mean, you have to make these determinations for yourself at a certain point. If I could, if I could amplify your point there, uh, Anne, uh, I would like to quote a couple of quotes here. One is from uh, Father Paul Kramer, who has written a book uh, back in 2020 uh, or 2019. To deceive the elect, uh, and he uh, he 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 comes out and doesn't pull any punches. He says that uh, uh, Benedict uh, still holds the munis or claims to hold the, the munis, and therefore his uh, resignation is invalid. Uh, and so, but it, I'd like to read what he says to your point. He says the right of conscience to judge privately of a matter of conscience in such areas. Uh, as that of manifest heresy, uh, which I think you know anybody could argue that uh, whatever Bergoglio is, he's he's a manifest heretic. That's me talking. Um, then he, Father Kramer says um, this pertains to divine law. Uh, such judgments of conscience are sometimes necessary for salvation, and such a right is acknowledged in canon law. And he cites Canon seven forty eight point one. All persons are bound to seek the truth in those things which regard God and his church, and by virtue of divine law are bound by the obligation um, of embracing and observing the truth which they have come to know. Uh, so that just, just backs up what you, what you were saying there. Right. And then um, St. Robert Bellarmine uh, our, our favorite St. Bob. We who, love uh, Bob, yep. <laughs> Team Bob. <laughs> we, we just celebrated the 400th centenary of his passing into eternal life. Um, doctor of the Church, 
in speaking about um, the case of Pope Liberius, also speaks to this question of, you know, can an individual exercise his private judgment? He says, quote, For although Liberius was not a heretic, nevertheless he was considered one on account of the peace that he made with the Arians. For men are not bound or able to read hearts, but when they see that someone is a heretic by his external works, they judge him to be a heretic, plain and simple, and condemn him as a heretic. So um, we have good authorities here to, uh, to back up our claims that we're making here. Yeah, and it's um, the whole question and discussion about conscience it's really, really tricky because the notion of conscience and individual conscience has been so perverted, um, mostly, of course, by the sodomite faction. They're the, you know, the, the Sixth Commandment um, deniers, basically. Um, they're the ones who keep falsely trying to paint conscience as whatever you think is right is right and and what's true for the the church of oprah you know the church of oprah you do you you have your truth i have my truth there is um there is a, a nuanced discussion though to be had about conscience a good example for example um if if a man wants to commit suicide and he pulls out a bottle uh, and it says it says it's liquid plumber and it's under the sink and he opens it up and he drinks down, you know, half the bottle. But it turns out that that was an old bottle that had been um, already used, emptied, cleaned out, and it just contained water. That man is guilty of attempted suicide because he believed that he was trying to commit suicide and he be he believed that what he was drinking was poison, even though it wasn't poison. So that goes to conscience. His conscience is guilty um, because he, what he thought he was doing would result in his death. Um, so you can make up, you can come up with all kinds of examples like that and back on the other side. So for example, for me, uh, speaking of myself, and myself alone here, I'm 100% sure that Bergoglio is an anti-pope. If I were to behave in any way contra to that, that I, ha I have come to the absolutely firm, firm conclusion that this man is not the vicar of Christ and never was, if I were to act against that, I would be guilty because my conscience is so fixed and firm and I am, you know, so intellectually and, and my will is so sure about, about this, that if I were to act contrary to that, I would be held accountable. And then you can go into other examples about, well, and what if you're wrong? It'll be the most honest mistake ever made if I'm wrong. And I have, I have no apps. I have no fear whatsoever of appearing before our Lord at my particular judgment about the possibility that I were that I were wrong because like I said it would be the most honest mistake that anyone ever made and God is not a jerk and he loves me and he's rooting for me and he understands inside and out backwards and forwards every fiber of what it is that my intellect what what my position is um so I, I'm not worried 
at all about that. The, the issue is when people start, when people know or believe that something is wrong and then act against that and do that anyway. That's, and it's, again, go back to the example of the guy throwing back the bottle of, of, of Drano or liquid plumber or whatever. Even if it's just water in there, if he thought it was going to kill him and he was trying to kill himself, he's guilty of attempted suicide, which is, of course, mortal sin. So... I mean, we can go on and on about questions of conscience. Well, take it to its next logical. Um, well, first, let me, I just wanted to say this. The, the examples are right there in Scripture for us in terms of God or Jesus, our Lord, in the second person of the Trinity, wanting us to, to, to think and apply yes. rational thought, linear thought to to what's happening in our lives and to act accordingly. I mean, our, our entire existence is based around free will and and acts of the will. Think about mm-hmm. it. So, you know, we have the examples of uh, our Lord asking Peter, who do you say that I am? Yes. And Peter didn't go run off and consult with anyone before he answered. Yeah, he, he didn't do this, this fake, modest, well, I could never possibly, possibly dream of making any sort of a determination about that. I am a mere unlettered aquaculturist. I need to go to the temple and I need to ask the Sanhedrin who you are because they are the legitimate authority and only they can make the determination. This is so clearly an inversion of the Gospels, what these people are trying to peddle, that it's absolutely maddening. And I, we, I think we've talked about this, Mark. The, the other great example of this, talking about Saturday and Our Lady, yes, what, what did yes. the Blessed Virgin do on Holy Saturday? Um, did she consult the Sanhedrin? Did she run off to the Sanhedrin and say, would you please explain to me what just happened? No, she, she sat in the upper room in the cenacle and she held the church together. She didn't go running off ask, asking anyone, you know, at the temple what just happened, what's going to happen, what do we make of this? Of course not. That, that's madness. So, yeah. And then the third example, of course, is when uh, John sent his disciples mm-hmm. to, uh, he couldn't shake off these, these last two disciples, uh, even when he was in prison and had fulfilled his earthly mission. He's trying to shake off these last two disciples and he sends them to Jesus uh, to ask, you know, is he the Messiah? And what does Jesus tell them? What do you see? Mm-hmm. Make up your mind. Yep. Go tell John. Yeah. The Not le- that John the lame... was doubting at all no, in that situation. No, no, John knew way, exactly you know. who he was. It, that right. was for the benefit right. of the of the disciples. You know, what, what, what do your eyes see? What do your ears hear? The uh, lame are walking, the blind see. What do you think? Now, in that moment... Why would Christ have not just said, yeah, I'm the Messiah? <laughs> yes, because the entire point of us having free will and, and the, the intercourse of love between God and us, it requires us to not be automatons. It requires us to not be just mindless chessmen. And this is the proof of that. 
Like, you need to look at this. You need to think about this. You need to come to this conclusion for yourself. And um, it's a good point. It's a good time right now to draw the comparison to, of course, the satanic um, religious political system of Islam in which everything is about coercion. They they don't care. They don't care. In fact, uh, there's a great quote from Osama bin Laden um, before 9-11 saying, we don't care we don't care if anybody believes anything in Islam. All we care about is that they submit. That's all that matters. Because Islam is satanic. It is a, it is a satanic inversion. Christ and Christianity says there will be no coercion. You need to come to these conclusions yourself. And to the point that Christ himself remains hidden behind the, the veil of friendship in the Eucharist, in the the holy sacrifice of the mass it's there's a veil of friendship there people there are things happening when when the host is consecrated at the the mass and the precious blood is consecrated at the mass there's things happening that if we could see it we would just fall down in in a state of apoplectic shock and we wouldn't be able to function as human beings and also and probably even more importantly yeah, we, we would we would have a servile fear of God, but we wouldn't have a filial fear of God. If we're so physically terrified of him by his appearance and manifestation that we're incapable, if we're so frightened that we're incapable of loving him, that completely defeats the whole purpose of the thing. What he wants is for us to love him, okay? And then from that comes filial fear because we love him we don't want to break his heart and then you also appreciate that yes he is the all-powerful creator of the universe he is the primary mover he is he is everything and yeah as human beings we're little specks and we should have a servile fear of him but that's secondary to the the filial fear but the two are required for each other you know it's the the servile fear magnifies the filial fear and the filial fear um kind of it i don't want to say magnifies but i mean you have to you have to appreciate how big and huge and powerful and infinite he is and then you realize how much he loves you. I mean, it, the, the two the two species feed off of each other. But it, you have to come to you have to come to him by your own free will. You can only love if you're not coerced. Coercion is an instantaneous eliminator of charity, which is I mean, <laughs> talk about talk about the death injections. Talk about all these mandates and talk about anti Pope Bergoglio the probable false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, talking about how all of these coercive measures measures are an act of charity that is absolutely Luciferian, Luciferian inversion. And um, So just go, go ahead, doctor. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that what Anne is talking about here is, is not just in the abstract. Um, I won't name names, but I was at a public Catholic function and I received a, a tongue lashing uh, from some individual who I won't name because if I named the individual, the individual would be known. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, for the ner- the gall of me, the nerve of me to make a private judgment uh, as to whether or not uh, 
uh, Benedict is still Pope, uh, and whether or not, therefore, ergo, Francis is not, uh, the, the gall of me to do that. And um, I, again, I was publicly tongue-lashed for that. But um, again, if I could just quickly quote um, Father Kramer, um, he wrote his book to answer John Salza and the Cisco crowd who claim that, um, again, that making a private judgment is you know, forbidden to private individuals, that we have to wait for a public judgment of the church. In fact, they go so far as to assert that um, you know, it's an exercise of the Protestant principle of pri private judgment if we do that. And obviously, Father Kramer says that's false because it effectively nullifies the rule of faith which safeguards the conscience of the individual, not the post-Vatican II follow your conscience, right. but, but what you were saying, Anne, about mm -hmm. the proper understanding of conscience. And he cites uh, a famous book by uh, Tam Books called uh, Liberalism is a Sin by uh, Father Felix Sarda from the 19th century. And uh, Father Sarda makes this point. He says, quote, of what use would be the rule of faith and morals if in every particular case the faithful cannot of themselves make the immediate application. Mm -hmm. If they were constantly obliged to consult the Pope or the diocesan pastor, mm -hmm. just as the general rule of, of morality is the law in accordance with, with which each one squares his own conscience, uh, dictum in uh, practicum, in making particular applications of this general rule, um, subject to correction, um, if erroneous. Uh, so we we have solid tradition be behind us on this, and and Father Kramer ends by saying, the opinion that only the church authorities are able to judge in matters of heresy, and that we we cannot know if someone is a heretic by the application of human reason, without a pronouncement of church authority, is patently absurd, mm -hmm. since it is by the application of human reason to the matters of faith that ecclesiastical judges reach their conclusions in heresy cases and pronounce judgment. Yeah. Dismount soapbox. Right. So, so let's stop there for a minute. In terms of making a private judgment, even if you haven't examined the evidence in terms of the invalid resignation of Pope Benedict, even if you don't see how there was uh, an illegal deal done before the faux conclave that invalidated it and excommunicated its adherents. Uh, if you're Catholic, you can see that Bergoglio is a heretic at best and maybe an apostate. Yeah. On that judgment alone, he's not the Pope. Right. So even without going into the into the full um, evidence and, and caseload here, that's a very basic judgment that any good Catholic should be able to make. And on that basis alone, you cannot kneel to him as a legitimate authority. Right. Which goes back to where we where, where we started all this. And you know, it just popped into my mind um, with this whole argument. If if what these people are saying is true, and individuals have absolutely no capacity or power to make any individual judgments or uh, or anything like that, where exactly does that leave the entire concept of the census fidelium? 
mean, you've got this this very important uh, uh, part of the church militant, of the sense of the faithful. Where are the faithful in this? And that's why I appreciated very much when when Frank Walker and others, even though it's it's um, it's a small sample and it's really just the ang- the trad anglosphere. Um, still, when the results come back and say that, what, 82, 83 percent of the people who responded to the polls say that Benedict is still the pope? Uh, I mean, y- you know. Or, or minimally say that Bergoglio isn't. Or, or minimally say that Bergoglio isn't. Well said. Um, well, there is a census fidelium, and the church has always has always relied upon that, especially with um, canonizations. The the cult, and I mean cult in a good way, that would grow up around uh, around local holy people who had who had died. Um, you know, that's that's all. The census fidelium is all feeding into that. Um, and you know, if the entire church is just looking at some, the the entire believing church, the entire remnant church is looking at something and saying. There is something just spectacularly wrong here. Um, well, you've just completely shot down the entire notion of the concept of census fidelium, which is very, very real, very real, by saying that absolutely no one has any capacity to make any sort of judgment about anything um, unless you go run off and check with the local sodomite criminal heretic or and or apostate um you have to go ask him it's it's such a um it's such reverting back to the stereotype of catholics being being the ones who check check their brains at the door and all of that and it's it's such a lie and and as as i was converting and reading and reading and reading because i I had i'd fallen for that trope that you know catholics just check their brains at the door and they believe whatever they're told and you start reading and one of the first thing that that leaps out to you is just the intellectual robustness of the whole thing and the whole notion that people aren't allowed to think and that there is no thinking going on is patently ridiculous um and also it's <laughs> you you are you are very quickly struck by the fact that most of the most profound um truths revealed and and theological leaps forward have not come from you know the the academy the canon lawyers um even even from the 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 clerics and prelates it's coming from these unexpected quarters it's coming from a little a little illiterate girl in siena it's coming from you know these little little 7 year old shepherd kids in portugal you know these these there's so much and i mean just even look at the at the gospels and look at the who who were chosen to be the apostles you know it's, these guys were blue collar uh, Matthew was a tax collector, so he was <laughs> he was considered to be very, very low, um, morally low. I mean, it's 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 not a, it's not appealing to to the conventional authorities. That's typically not how God works in these situations. I guess the other thing that needs to be said is that um, to not act is to act. Yes. So if you think you're just you're you're gonna just kind of your role, your role is to, is to wait this out. Um, and you think you're being and, neutral. Uh-uh, you're not being neutral. Yeah, you're not. No. 
you're not. You're taking a side whether you like it or yep. not, and you 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 might want to get motivated to to take the right side. Yep. And when you talked about the poll, and there were actually three different ones, and they all had very similar results in terms of what the what the Pew sitters. And granted, it's you know an Anglo trad audience, mm-hmm. but if upwards of eighty percent, yeah, think Bergoglio is not the Pope. What I want to know is, and and you posted a letter the other day, Anne. What percentage of the priests know in their heart that there is no way Bergoglio is yeah. Pope? And of that percentage, who are they naming mm-hmm. in the canon of the mass? And if you're naming someone who in your heart you know is not the true vicar of Christ, yep. there's going to be consequences for that too. Yep, absolutely. That And that's, that's a good example of what I was talking about earlier about conscience if if you believe that Bergoglio is not the Pope, if you believe that, and you still say Franciscum at the Teigeter, you you are violating your own conscience, and and you can you can compartmentalize this aside for just a quick moment about whether or not it's right or wrong. If you if you have come to the conclusion. And you believe, and Christ knows exactly what you believe and why you believe it. If you believe that Bergoglio is not the Pope and you still say his name or his, uh, his putative moniker, Franciscum, at the Teigeter, you are violating your own conscience. You're, you're lying internally to yourself and I don't know, presumably you're trying to lie to Christ. You're trying to have your cake and eat it too. It, it's not going to work. That is not going to work. Um, so Let's take it a step further. How about an illegitimate antipope suppresses your order? Mm-hmm. And I see priests writing in their, in their weekly bulletin, well, I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll just go and set up private shop somewhere or live as a hermit or, uh, you know, give up my vocation. Your, your God-given vocation, you're going to give that up because an illegitimate authority has given you an unlawful instruction. Have you really thought this uh, yeah, through? Yeah, I don't think they have. And, and that, was, that example is particularly disappointing because it's, it's someone that I was acquainted with years ago when I, lived, when I still lived in Denver, and that's Father James Jackson, who's an ex-Marine chaplain. I mean, th- this dude isn't some, you know, wilting, wilting pansy or anything like this. Father Jackson is... is is a man's man, and for him to just not only to, to say what he said, but to to say it publicly like that and telegraph your your de facto intention to surrender to the enemy publicly on the internet. Oh well, if they suppress us, we're just we're just going to disband and we'll fold. How about you fight? How about how about you how about you engage the data set? Look at this question. Quit with this, it's above my pay grade, I can't make a determination about this BS, and it's BS. Yes, you can. Yes, you absolutely can. That's why canon law is publicly promulgated. That's why all of this, why the divine providence has made sure that all of this is 100% visible, because in his loving mercy, he wants to make sure that we have all of the information that we need to make a determination on this, and we have it, and we should. 
and to just say, well, no, I, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not, I can't make any determination about this. Everyone says he's the Pope, so then I just have to go along with this. And if he if he tries to suppress us, then we'll just disband and I'll just quit. You just telegraphed your intention to surrender to the enemy. Um, on, on the field of battle, that would be that would be a capital offense. You would be court-martialed and possibly executed for either cowardice or giving aid and comfort to the enemy. And I hope Father Jackson hears this. I hope someone sends this to him and he stops and thinks about the gravity of what he is saying and doing and the consequences of what he's saying and doing. Telegraphing surrender in the face of the enemy is just, is, is, it's despicable. And I hope that he'll, I hope he'll walk it back because he, he's a super good guy. He's a super cool guy. Can you guys um, answer an objection that was raised to me? Can you guys address supplied jurisdiction? Like, in other words, uh, this person was... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this person was trying to claim that, okay, if I come out and say that Francis is an anti-pope, then I also have to come out and tell everybody not to follow their local bishops and stuff like that. Can you no, answer? Mm, yeah, can you explain that? Yeah, so Ecclesia Suplet, the church supplies jurisdiction by, by her own power in emergency situations. And for the love of all that is holy and good, if this isn't an emergency situation, I don't know what possibly, possibly could be. So um, it doesn't mean that every, every single thing that, that Bergoglio has done, like, you know, paying the light bill or, you, you, mean, you know, just all of that stuff. And I, I mean, I exaggerate by saying paying the light bill, but um, when there's an emergency situation and something like this has happened, the church herself supplies jurisdiction. Um, this is a conversation that I've had a couple of times with some high, very high-ranking uh, churchmen about what do we do about these these cardinals and all of this stuff that that Bergoglio has done is or is the it is giving these guys the red hat because Bergoglio is an anti-pope. Is it just absolutely one hundred percent invalid? And actually, the historical record shows that it is not necessarily invalid. There is historical precedent that um, men who were raised to the cardinalcy by an anti-pope, and, you know, centuries, centuries ago, um, were grandfathered in when the, when the whole question of who the pope was was, was resolved. And so men have been grandfathered in, and Ecclesia Suplet was cited as, you know, the, the, here's how this worked. The, the church supplied the jurisdiction to elevate these men to the cardinal see because there was, there was this confusion about who the Pope was. And remember, centuries ago, when they were having these spats and, and anti-papacies, it, it was largely p political, like secular political, and, you know, Italian banking families sniping, sniping at each other. It was, it was actually very ridiculous. So the conclusion that we that we came to is that what will need to happen is that you just completely clear the deck and you you completely liquidate. Not, and I don't mean in the, liquidate in the sense of murder. I mean that you completely liquidate in the sense of take take the hat of every cardinal on earth and say we're it's you're all canceled basically you're all canceled and we're starting over from scratch and you start over from scratch with you know 12 because that's kind of a that's a nifty number in terms of in terms of these things um st start over again with 12 and just start from a clean slate and i think most people at this point agree that that 
would be that would be the the easiest path forward um but not not to try to come in and say well this guy is a cardinal that guy isn't a cardinal this is he isn't he i mean that's just a disaster and anyone any you know the cardinals who are the the few remaining cardinals who are catholic and love the church would probably be the first ones in line to say, yes, I'd go along with this plan because it's the only way to clean house. It's the only way. So just take everybody's red hat, start over from scratch, and, you know, that's the cleanest way to do it. But no, I mean, and it's, the same thing goes with bishops. You know, bishops that have been elevated under Bergoglio, I think you just at that point say Ecclesia Suplet, and then, but in, in, in any sort of a great reset... And I mean, I mean, the real great reset, not the Klaus Schwab great reset um, for the cleansing and purifying of the church militant. You know, someone is going to have, you know, Pope Pope Leo the 14th is going to have to come in and just say, all right, everybody goes under review. And anybody who's ever done any gay, you know, gay masses or or preached heresy or anything like that, you're all you're all going to be investigated and we're we're going to start we're going to start firing people left and right and isn't it interesting i think pope benedict um in the 8 years that he was in do you do you guys know how many bishops he deposed in the 8 years he was he was actively exercising the petrine munus no guess how many bishops did pope benedict fire 3 dr mata 8 well, Dr. Matza is closer because it was 800 and some. <laughs> and you wonder what? and you wonder why they hated him. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a link for the, one the show. One thing I wanted to say about the about the um the making of cardinals by someone later to be acknowledged as an antipope. Uh, I think in every case they did let them stand. They were prevented from voting in the ah in the next conclave. Mm -hmm. uh, so they couldn't vote for the successor of the anti-pope, but they, they were allowed to remain cardinals. Um, a bigger question, and I want to circle back to the bishops in, in a minute here in terms of the church supplying, uh, because it's really God supplying. The bigger question to me are the canonizations, because that's not the church making saints that's the church acknowledging saints mm -hmm. they're either saints or they're not right. uh that that's you know it's either the truth or it's not the truth so that's a that's a bigger question that will that will need to be tossed around someday well, i think it's very i think it's a, another manifestation of the fact that bergoglio is not the vicar of christ and this one is pretty far down on the list but i find it to be completely compelling is that it's obvious i mean paul the sixth is the most obvious one um and mm -hmm. some people would say john the 23rd is is right on his heels but paul the sixth are are you kidding me and, you know, I got a really lovely email from a reader, an older gentleman, and he said, he made the point that, look, when we were kids, everybody was 100% on the same page that uh, the canonization of saints was infallible. And he went on to make the point that when he saw Bergoglio saying that wretched, wretched Paul VI was, was a saint, that that's proof right there. I'm. I think 
I think that yes, the the church can the canonization of saints. <laughs> Everybody was on the same page until just not too terribly long ago that this was infallible. And now it's only it's now only gone to hell in a handbasket with the ascension of this antipope. Hmm. Maybe we should take a hint from that. And again, uh, don't don't go back and tear down and say every everyone for 2000 years before us was wrong. We have we have to square this circle to make it fit to make it fit the fact that we intransigently um, claim that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ on earth. Well, clearly the canon, and I mean, I think Peter Kwasniewski, again, he's on the wrong side of this. He's writing articles that saying, well, it looks like probably infallibility was not what we thought it was all along. Um, how about we just check our base premise, Pete? How about we check our base premise and say, is Bergoglio the Pope or not? Clearly not. If he's if he's canonizing Paul the sixth, um, you could even make the same argument for JP two. I mean, how how can we say that JP two lived a life of heroic virtue? And a super nerd is quick to to point out. Remember, JP two will be is was judged at his particular judgment as the vicar of Christ on earth with all of the attendant responsibility that goes along with that. And super, super nerd made the point that he will be judged at his particular judgment as a husband and father and et cetera. And we are all, we are all judged according to our status and state in life. So a Pope goes to his, his particular judgment and is judged as a Pope. JP two is kissing Korans. JP two is surrounding himself with a bunch of criminals. JP two is basically turning a blind eye to the queria and allowing it to run wild as a criminal organization. But he, you know, because he's too busy over there forming his cult of personality as a, you know, anti-Soviet game show host or something. Um, how, how can we say that he lived a life of heroic virtue when he, he allowed the church to just fall into, into such a state of corruption and could have at any time walked back, um, the Novus Ordo mass and could have walked back Vatican II and didn't do it. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, pretty clear that, that something stinks in Denmark. Well, not to disagree with anything that you just said, but just to maybe add a slight footnote here mm -hmm. to play devil's advocate just mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, a good buddy of mine who uh, does Catholic ministry and works with exorcists told me that when they use John Paul's name in the exorcism, you know, calling on the saints to help them, uh, that the, the demons did react as if he was a saint. Okay. Um, that is good to know. I've never heard and that. that. And yeah, it was, the, it was the first I'd heard of it. And so the way I try to wrap my brain around this is to, to say, well, you know, if he repented of all that he did wrong before he died, and that plus the suffering that he endured with the Parkinson's all yes. those years, yes, um, maybe he either did his purgatory on earth or had, did a, a quick rinse, mm -hmm. uh, uh, tumble <laughs> dry. Um, uh, I mean, he, a saint, so when they, like you guys said earlier, right, when the church canonizes somebody, they're not making someone a saint. Mm -hmm. They're observing the fact that he's in heaven. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody who went to purgatory or did their purgatory on earth, um, 
is now a saint in heaven. So maybe, maybe in that sense, what do you think? He could be a saint. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's, okay. I, and we, we all should hope and pray that he either is or, or will be. The problem is, is that when you've got a person, I, I mean, and I can stand here and just make that rant that I made about Assisi and, and um, you know, his incompetence in running the Curia, um, that if I can stand there and make that argument that easily, aren't there people who, sh doesn't, it, doesn't it follow that we, we should be praying for him in, in purgatory? And, and if, if the anti-church comes out and anti-Pope Bergoglio says, okay, he's in heaven, now nobody's going to be praying for him in purgatory. I mean, not that not that Novus Ordo Catholics do much of that anyway. But he, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's you're you're depriving somebody of um, of the prayers that they that they need and that would benefit them. And so that's why the church has always been. It seems to me one of the reasons that the church has always been extraordinarily careful for you know up until the asteroid hit about these things. You know, and you, you you just made a perfectly good devil's advocate in your you know in your little uh, rant there. Uh, but they've gotten rid of the devil's advocate. Ah, I think that's part of the yeah, problem, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and for those who don't know what we're talking about, there was actually a position in the church for centuries called the devil. You know, well, I don't know if it's not an official title, but there was a, a, an official person who was supposed to go through the, the the saint's life, the alleged saint and try to look for all the dirt that they could mm -hmm. to, to, to so make sure the church doesn't make a mistake about something like yep. this, that it's so important. Yep. Um, so, but they, they, they literally did away with that position. I, I'll mm -hmm. have to look into what year that that happened. Oh, I, I, bet I, could, I bet I could guess what year it was after. <laughs> <laughs> but um, talking about the devil's advocate and, and very fascinating historical tidbit about this, um, a lot of people ask, why isn't Leo the Thirteenth? Why doesn't he even have a cause open? And actually, the reason is, is that there was a young man who was about 18 years younger than Leo the Thirteenth, who looked exactly like him, who was referred to as his nephew, who, Le who Leo the Thirteenth, you know, nepotism was not the was not considered to be completely awful the way Americans think of nepotism being completely awful. And this young man just flew up the, the chain of the hierarchy of the church. And when, the, when Leo XIII died and people started, started talking about this and saying, you know, should we open a cause here? I mean, he was clearly saintly. He was clearly saintly. Should we open a cause? They instantaneously said, absolutely not, because if we open a cause, we're going to have to sick the devil's advocate on this business about whether or not it's even possible that he fathered this, this lad when he was a youth. And we're, we're just not going to go there. We are not going to touch it. If he's in heaven, he's in heaven. And if he's in purgatory, he's in purgatory. We are just totally going to leave this alone because we, we're not going to open this can of worms because it could potentially scandalize the faithful. He, he, there was no question that he was saintly. There's no questions that he's one of the greatest popes in the history of the church, but we're not going to touch this because we don't even want to look into this question about whether or not he fathered a child or not. So, and, and this would have been before he was even ordained a priest, 
But I mean, that's how different the world is. Even the notion that a pope could have, you know, not been a virgin, had had entered seminary, had sent, entered major seminary, not as a virgin. Um, that was just so horrific to to people that they just said, nope, we're not touching it. So no, Leo the Thirteenth will will never be, will probably never have a cause opened. Uh, in terms of the infallibility of the um, canonizations of a legitimate pope, um, and, and and much less than canonizations in terms of what must be adhered to, and w- actually what's contained in the uh, doctrinal definition of infallibility. Uh, can I read into the record a... Um, a short piece by Cardinal Manning, who actually was the principal architect of the doctrine of infallibility. Yeah, and so so everybody knows there's there's two uh, two people are swirling around Vatican One, and you're either on team team Manning or you're on team John Henry Newman. And of course, anti Pope Bergoglio canonized John Henry Newman. There's a lot of people who were not pleased with that one either um, because there's there's a lot of problems swirling around that but Newman and Manning were these two you know huge huge personalities and characters looming over Vatican one and um, Manning was the solid one and we should also read into the record Manning's um, prophecy about the end times but go ahead Mark mm. So this comes from a book called The Vatican Council and Its Definitions from 1887, so 17 years after the Council. Cardinal Manning. The whole magisterium, or doctrinal authority, of the pontiff as the supreme doctor of all Christians is included in this definition of his infallibility. And also, all legislative or juridical acts so far as they are inseparably connected with the doctrinal authority, as, for instance, all judgments, sentences, and decisions which contain the motives of such acts as derive from the faith, from faith and morals. Under this will come the laws of discipline, canonization of the saints, approbation of religious orders, of devotions, and the like, all of which intrinsically contain the truths and principles of faith, morals, and piety. The definition, then, does not limit the infallibility of the pontiff to his supreme acts ex cathedra in faith and morals, but extends his infallibility to all acts in the fullest exercise of his supreme magisterium or doctrinal authority. Yeah, so the whole, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin arguments that these people are always making, trying, trying to justify and trying to square the circle of, of Bergoglio, um, arch heretic, arch heretic who, but they, they have to argue that he's, he's the vicar of Christ on earth. I mean, Manning just shoots that down, shoots it straight down. And the thing is, is that that quote of Manning held, it held until Bergoglio, and there are people out there running around who used to be, you know, t- team Manning absolute fanboy groupies who are now raging that Vatican I was wrong 
And then if you then if Vatican one was wrong, well, then Trent was wrong, too. And oh, oh, boy, Trent, that was just the beginning of the end. And then you go back and now they're saying that, you know, maybe it was the Roman church that split from the true church in 1054 and that we're the ones who are in schism and the Eastern Orthodox, they're the ones who are the true church. And then it'll eventually go back. They'll they'll find something in the Nicene Creed or they'll go after the Filioque that I, I anticipate that'll be the next one. And then you'll get you'll get all the way back to the point where you you descend so far. And and I don't think it's a problem to use his name at this point as Steve Skocek, who's basically now a militant full time atheist and is arguing things like um, the writers of the Gospels were power hungry men. And so they they just inserted all of that all of that papacy stuff into Matthew 16 Um just they they made that up to serve their own power hungry ends so now you're attacking the gospels and the evangelists i mean it it the 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 slippery slope it's one of the slipperiest slopes in human existence once you fall off the turnip truck <laughs> the the turnip truck of of the one true church um next thing you know you're you're basically gunning to become the next J- jack chick and and you're just spouting hateful, atheistic, and um, murderous hatred of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is extremely, extremely sad and sobering to watch how quickly people can go just, just off of the one false base premise of who the vicar of Christ on earth is. Yeah. It's a pretty important question. I was going to say, so if, if we were good with infallibility on the saints, you know, up until Bergoglio, then um, Pope Benedict beatified uh, John Paul in May 2011. So can we say that it, at the very least he's a blessed? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to your what you said about the demons. Um, and and if if they are recoiling at his name during exorcisms, and I, I put a, I put a lot of I put a lot of stock in that. So, I mean, I don't I don't think JP2 was evil. I think that he was he was incompetent at running at running the Quiria, and um, I, you know the whole the whole Assisi thing that that's the worst that that is without any doubt or question the worst that's the hardest to to make any sort of an apology or justification for in my mind. But yeah, I remember Malachi Martin in a uh, one of his radio interviews talking about that, and I, I think. The only defense was that uh, something like John Paul didn't know they were actually going to put a statue of Buddha in the sanctuary. But I mean, I was just that was just the worst offending act. On top act of the tabernacle. <laughs> On top of the yeah. tabernacle. Yeah. But even the whole the base premise was wrong, obviously, to yeah. Yeah. have all the people praying to the different. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I just wanted to close off because I don't think we we did it proper justice to the the, the concept of ecclesia supplet and supply jurisdiction, which aren't exactly the same thing. But I think the question that that um, your your listener had, Doctor Matza, was around: Well, if I come to this conclusion, at least with moral certainty, that he's not the Pope, what do I do? Where do I go? I don't have any place that. I mean, I can't even go to the SSPX, right? Because they still say ah, he's Pope. That's a, that's a very good point. <laughs> so the, 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 what people need to know is God supplies 
the the truth and and the answer. So you don't have to restrain yourself. You don't have to cut yourself off from the sacraments because you're not sure what people what the minister really believes or Oh uh, no, and that, and that goes the, to the heresy of Donatism. I mean, I right. go I go to mass every day where I know because I discuss it with with the priests that are there in residence. Um they commemorate Francis at the Te Igitor, and we talk about it, and they always, every time we talk about it, they always make it abundantly clear that they have not thoroughly researched the subject at all. Um, you know, like you said, well, I say, for example, how do you reconcile that to Canon 332.2? And they have no idea what Canon 332.2 is. Okay, if you don't know what 332.2 is, or you don't know what 188 is, you, you have, you'd have no idea what you're talking about in terms of this, in terms of this subject. It's very well, just, easy just, to catch just, people. Yeah, just the fact that you haven't... Uh you haven't bothered to do five minutes of work yep. to to look into those things really says a lot and discuss. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But back to Donatism. So the heresy of Donatism was, was the early like third century, fourth century heresy where people said, okay, the, the state of the soul of the priest validates or invalidates um, the sacraments. So, you know, you take it to its conclusion. If a, if a priest is in a state of mortal sin, even unrepentant mortal sin, can he still confect the Eucharist? And the answer is absolutely 100% yes. Yes, 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 he can. And, and he almost always does. Um, the, the hoops that a priest has to jump through to invalidate a consecration are just, are enormous. And, and our Lord set it up that way so that, you know, Anne or Mark or Dr. Matza could bebop and bop, pop into any Novus Ordo church that they pass on their on their daily errands and know that our Lord is almost certainly, yes, reposed in that tabernacle. And yes, that red, that red candle means that he's there and he is there. We don't have to agonize over whether or not the priest is gay. And in a lot of, a lot of Novus Ordo parishes, they are. Um, it, it's, it, that doesn't invalidate it. Um, so... And how do we know that? Because God is never handcuffed. Right. And God is not going to do that to you. No. Of course it's valid. Uh, even more so than the Eucharist, I hope this isn't, I'm not out of line here, but confession. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine not knowing if your confession was valid? Yeah. Or if millions of people had no way of knowing if their confession was valid? That's obviously false. Yeah. All, all the priest has to do in the confessional is say, ego te absolvo. I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, you know, even if he says stuff to you, and this has happened to me, even if he says stuff to you that's wrong, Christ is acting through him, and all that needs to happen is for him to say the words, ego te absolvo. And if the, if the quote-unquote advice that he gave you is unsound, well, th that just goes in one ear and out the other. You don't worry about that. When he says, I absolve you, that is Christ saying, I absolve you, irregardless of what the priest might have just said or believes or doesn't believe. It is absolute madness to think that God would hold us personally responsible for knowing something that it is literally impossible for us to know, which is the interior disposition of any given priest. It's not possible for us to know that. I mean, this is diaper school 101. So back to the mass and the consecration and the te igitor. Um, 
you know, and people say, well, Anne Barnhart is a hypocrite and she's going to these masses where Francis is commemorated at the Tay Ijeter and that means that she assents to that. No, it doesn't. That's ridiculous. I well, talked to our Lord, would say, say? So, some commentators would say that's a mortal sin what you oh, just yeah, did. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a mortal sin. The same guy who said that it's above his pay grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and of course not. I talked to our Lord all day, every day about the question of the anti-papacy. Do you honestly think that our Lord sees me there kneeling in, in the front row and says, boy, I'm confused now about what Anne's position on who the Pope is. This is abject madness. Of course, he knows exactly what my position is. And I'm there at the foot of the cross anyway. Um, and we're, we're all just going to keep working to hopefully get this resolved. And, you know, every day now, every day, one of the things that I say is maybe today is the last day because you got to have hope, you know, because there will be a last day when an anti-pope, this anti-pope is commemorated at the Te Igeter. And I say every day, Lord, maybe today is the very last day. Maybe something's going to happen. And tomorrow it's either, they're either going to say nobody or they're going to go back to saying Benedict again. Um, and it, that day will come. This isn't going to go on forever. This is going to resolve. And you got to have hope and you got to have optimism. And maybe today is the last day. And if it isn't, we'll keep fighting again tomorrow. And we'll say, well, maybe today is the last day that they're going to commemorate. Maybe we can make that into a prayer. Maybe add that to morning prayer. Yeah. Lord, make this the last day. He knows what you're asking for. Exactly. The, <laughs> yeah. I, again, the people who would say that um, me going to a mass where where franciscum is commemorated as some sort of a mortal sin or or i'm confusing jesus because i'm assenting to the anti-papacy by being there present or something this is what happens when you do not have a personal relationship with jesus christ do you think that he's dumb do you think that he doesn't know exactly what i no think and believe inside and out. Only, only if you think that he is an impersonal um, philosophy or or a an impersonal philosophical system or a matrix inside of which we socialize or something like that. If you know that he's a person and that he loves you and he's rooting for you and he knows you inside and out because he's all knowing and he's infinitely good and infinitely merciful. How could you possibly think <laughs> that that going to mass um, that he's he's just thrown into complete confusion and and thinks I'm a hypocrite? Um, no, sorry, I'm gonna keep going to mass. You can't get rid of me. Can't get rid of me that easily. Got to get up pretty early in the morning to to pull that kind of trickery over on me. I'm not falling for it. So, do you think we answered it, Doctor Matza? <laughs> I think so. I. Uh... Like I said, this person was just concerned that, you know, if they came out and said that Bergoglio was an anti-pope, then they'd also have to tell everybody to, you know, uh, not, uh, well then, you know, I, I think you guys did answer it because he was just concerned about the, the cascade effect. Well, what about the cardinals? What about the bishops? What about priests? It just, you know, it would just, it would seem to go on endlessly. Well, we don't go anywhere. We're, we don't go anywhere. We are the remnant church militant. We, we ain't going anywhere. Um, we're hanging around and we're going to keep working at this and we're going to keep telling people, here's the deal, here's the evidence, here's the canon law, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and this, this can be, if, if some men would just step up, this actually could be, could be put a right surprisingly easily. It's, it's, it's like this with almost everything in human existence. When people screw things up, um, and all the way from macro level, all the way down to in your individual life. And I bet every person listening to this can think on their own individual life of some stupid decision that they made that would have been so easy to either completely avoid or quickly remedy. And they didn't do it. And it just drug on and got worse and drug on and got worse and drug on and got worse. So I, I hope that kind of wraps up the point. It's 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 so interesting. I'm always it's so interesting about how there's there's so much for all of us to learn and grow and think about and comprehend um, from all of this horrible stuff that's going on and all this controversy. But if you just engage it and you think about it, it can actually make things, it can bring clarity. That That's another, I think that's another huge point. If you're, you know, going through life as a Catholic, trying to say that Bergoglio is the Pope, you're, you're going to feel like, you know, it's crumbling. Just, just everything is crumbling against, uh, cr crumbling around you. You're going to be confused. You're going to feel like, you know, you're walking through life in a, in a cloud or a fog. And isn't it interesting that if you go to the correct true base premise that Pope Benedict is the Pope, that not only is everything crystal clear, but you will, you almost advance and you can see, you can see the power and the loving mercy and beauty of our Lord and how he's making everything visible and he's shepherding everyone along. And, you know, you learn about questions like Donatism and, and that makes you think about how much God loves us and, and, it, it gets better and better in, in a weird way, even though the, the underlying situation is, a, is an absolute wreck, is an absolute train wreck. If you're still operating from a true base premise, God is helping you along and, and your faith is going to get deeper and you're going to love him more. And you're going to say, man, what a blessing it is for us to be alive in these times and be, to, to be able to engage in this. It's the people who are trying to cling to the lie that that Bergoglio is the Pope who are losing their faith, who losing their faith, lose, uh, going into apostasy, um, just claiming that I just don't know what's happening and I don't know what anything means anymore and everything's so unclear. Uh, I can tell you exactly because why that's it, happening. It, it, Go ahead. It, it, it's disorientation because if you're going to proclaim that Bergoglio is Pope, you have to f be loyal to him. You have to follow his teaching. It's authentic magisterium. We, we just read the, com the uh, commentary from Cardinal Manning. So you have to believe that adultery and communion go together like a horse and carriage. Yeah, you, you have to believe that the, that the Bible is wrong about the death penalty, that the entire church has been wrong for 2,000 years about the death penalty. You, you, have, to, you have to hold simultaneously diametrically opposing positions and tell yourself that that works somehow and that th those two things mesh together, that's going to drive you bonkers. It is going to drive you bonkers and it's going to drive you into apostasy and atheism. You have to deny the divinity of Christ. You have to believe in soul annihilation. Yep. I mean, we, we can 
Somebody put together a whole list of these things. Yeah. <laughs> you have to believe that you're justified by grace alone, pure grace. Oh, yeah. He went on a big Lutheran tangent this past week, didn't he? Last Sunday. Yep. yep. So maybe we can transition here off of something that you mentioned just a minute ago, and in terms of the, if only I had done something. Let's talk about Archbishop Vigano's latest mm. uh, statement, uh, which relates directly to what's going on in in, uh, in Pennsylvania and Nebraska right now with the uh, discussed Carmelites. But uh, th- there's a there's a broader theme here which needs to be addressed, where. Um, the Archbishop pretty clearly thinks that Bergoglio is an antipope. Just, you know, everything that he says in these statements, calling it uh, the Bergoglian church. Mm-hmm. Well, what church is that? Yeah. And if it's not the one that Christ founded, what are you trying to say, Your Excellency? Yeah. It, it, the, the, go ahead, guys. Well, I mean, he, he just needs to man up and come out and say it. Um, and this is this is a problem that I see and, and hear all the time of people thinking that this cutesy poodle BS of, I'm going to write a 3,500-word essay, and I'm going to hint heavily at what my base premise is, but I'm never going to actually come out and say it because I want the reader to come to their come to the conclusion themselves. Okay, people, you need to cut that crap out. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for your for your mental masturbation for you to be doing all this because you just think it's so much cuter for you to dance around something than come out and say it. If you believe something, if you have a base premise, state it. Open your thesis, open your essay, open your piece with your base premise. Bergoglio is not the Pope, and this is not the church. Then, underneath, explain clearly why. Please, for the love of God, literally, Listen to our Lord's words in in the Holy Scriptures when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and everything above and beyond that is of the devil, okay? Say what you think. Open with your premise. Take a stand. Enough of this just ridiculous academic well i'm just going to i'm just going to lay out some tendrils and let the reader draw his own conclusion cut it out speak clearly there's no more time for that and nobody's interested and you know what keep your stuff as short as you possibly can archbishop archbishop vigano if you're listening and i suspect that you are you need to cut everything that you write and publish down by 75%. I know that it is the Italian mindset, especially the Italian mindset of men of your generation, that if you can say what Anne Barnhart says in 100 words, you should be saying it in 10,000 words. And that just proves how smart you are. No, it doesn't. It proves how, how oblivious you are. People are not going to read through thousands and thousands and thousands of word-long essays. You need to be brief. You need to be succinct. You only need to publish something if you have something specific to say. Nobody's dazzled or impressed by you going on and on and on and on and dancing around and, and not coming out and saying what you believe and not getting to the point. 
please, there's no more time. If you, Archbishop Vigano, if you know, if you believe that Jorge Bergoglio is an anti-pope, for the love of God, say it and say it now. Don't wait for Cardinal Burke. We don't know what Cardinal Burke's health situation is going to be from here going forward. Okay, don't wait for Cardinal Burke. If you believe that Bergoglio is not the Pope, say it and say it just like that. Jorge Bergoglio is an anti-Pope. Pope Benedict XVI is still the Pope. Whatever it is that you believe, just say it. Dismount Soapbox. Well, that's a tough act to follow, but... uh... (laughs) Uh, it does. Uh, it goes for for Burke as well. It goes for maybe. Um, well, Burke has never Bishop had a problem Schneider. with saying too much. He just he doesn't say enough, you know. Well, it's. I just meant. I didn't mean in those terms. I meant in terms of the situation at hand, and you know something needs to be done, and nobody's doing it. Uh, Cardinal Burke did write in his. Um, the statement that he made when released from the hospital that well, you know, God has clearly left me here, on this earth for some specific purpose. Oh, well, please. No kidding. Please. <laughs> Your eminence. Yes. Like, let's get, let's get it done. And I, you know, if it takes um, pulling some strings to, to get an audience once he's up to it, I am all for that. He's in Wisconsin. I can be there in three hours. Uh, I know that Bishop Schneider is going to be in Harrisburg this coming, this coming Sunday or the following Sunday. And, Bishop Schneider is going to be handed multiple notes from multiple people. Mm-hmm. You know, very short statements. Yeah. Bergoglio is not the Pope. Benedict never validly resigned. Please do something. Yes. Three three lines on a little piece of That's paper. That's right. Don't don't think that you're gonna that anything beyond three sentences will be read because it won't. Don't write some long, huge letter, blah, blah, blah. blah. Nope, that that is not effective. It is not effective at all. There is a clear inverse correlation between the length of a text and how much of it is read and comprehended. Believe me, I know. I've been, you know, writing, I've been engaging in public rhetoric for, for 15 years now. The, the shorter it is, the more likely people are to read it and the more likely they are to understand it in terms of, you know, handing notes to, to, to prelates and so forth. Good grief. Don't, don't hand them a letter. Hand them like a three by five card with no more than three short sentences written on it. And even if you, if you can get it down to one sentence, what would it be? Pope Benedict never validly resigned, comma, Bergoglio is an anti-pope dot 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 please do something period do something there you go that's it don't don't feel like you need to explain it i guarantee you they all already know it yeah i think they, they do. just need to they just they, they just need to to man up now there may be some element of you know we talked about diabolical disorientation but the heart of the matter is effeminacy yes and it needs to stop yep and that's not to say um remember a feminacy, the Venn diagram of a feminacy and and male homosexuality absolutely has a huge overlap. But when you say that somebody is effeminate, you're not calling them a quote unquote fag um, because effeminacy is a vice that transcends sex. Women can be effeminate 
And it's just yep, as much sure. as a vice with, with women as it is with men to be effeminate. It means that you will not do the virtuous good because you're afraid that it will reduce your own personal comfort or pleasure in life. That, that, is, that transcends sex right there. Um, and that is also why our Lord told St. Catherine of Siena that she needed to develop virilitas, virility. He wasn't telling her to be butch and to be a, be a lesbian. He was telling her to develop the virtue, which again, virtues transcend sex, of virility, being strong, being potent, uh, being energetic, being a go-getter and getting things done and getting things accomplished. That transcends sex. And it transcends age as well. And it transcends age. Go ahead, Dr. Motz, a very good point. When, you know, when Our Lady appeared in May 1917 and June 1917 to the children of Fatima, mm. she said, um, are you willing to offer yourselves, you know, to offer up yourselves as victims for the conversion of sinners and to make reparation to the sacred and immaculate hearts? And, you know, Lucia answered for the three of them, yes, we are. And These are tiny that, little kids. How old were they at the time? <laughs> like seven and... I think Lucia was 10 or 11 and uh, Jacinta and Francisco were like eight, eight and seven. Yeah. 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 Um, yep. And uh, but it's 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 that's the opposite of effeminacy. Is is you know willing to offer up the sacrifices that are necessary to save sinners. Willing to reduce your own personal comfort in life in order to accomplish a, a greater virtuous good. Exactly. It's, it's the inverse of it. And she told them that, you know, then you will have much to suffer, but the grace of God will be your refuge, mm -hmm. and my Immaculate Heart will be your refuge. And they did it. Yeah, including the vision of hell, which uh, didn't Lucia say they would have died on the spot yeah. had not been for the, the grace they had been provided up front? Yeah. yeah. Did you hear that, Bishop Barron? Mm. And boy, I tell you what, that, that classic photograph of those three children, the eyes of those children, and I think that, that photograph was taken after they were given the vision of hell, and you, you right. can just tell that those kids are not messing around, man, that they, yeah, I, I don't, how, how would we react if we saw what they saw? Would, would we lay down and die on the spot? And some of us probably would. So the, the comment I was just going to close off with, uh, with what you were saying, Anne, that at the, at the time of St. Catherine of Siena, um, it actually fell to her, a laywoman, to resolve the issue of an antipope. Yeah. So we're, we're actually not in, in unprecedented times, um, although you know some of the things that uh, this antipope has done uh, surpass anything that any other anti-pope tried, Certainly. you know, whole different they, they, can of worms. Yep. Most of them at least seem to be Catholic. Yeah. Um, I, th I think, I think almost all of them actually were. I, I don't think that you could, Dr. Matza, maybe you could speak to this. Are there any of the anti-popes that were, that you look at on the historical level and just say, man, that guy was so far gone that he wasn't even Catholic. Uh, well, it, uh, that real that, that definition really only fits the, uh, the current situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I was going to say, uh, this is probably as, as good a place as any to make the announcement. Uh, I have decided that for my Advent course this year, it's going to be Advent with the Antipopes. 
Ooh. everything everything mm. you ever wanted to learn about antipopes you will over the four weeks of advent and what's your count on it is there 44 or is bergoglio is the 45th one isn't he it's it's uh, it's definitely in the 40s mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. It, um you know the scholars dispute over certain ones whether they were technically an antipope or not this and that but mm-hmm. uh we're talking about literally scores here you know there's yeah. dozens and dozens dozens of them oh that's fascinating Advent with the anti-popes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll all be there. Cool. We never got to the death jab, but is it about time for a wrap, Ann? I think so. We're at uh, we're over an hour and a half, so we don't we don't want to give super nerd an inordinate amount of work. And we'll I know that Nurse Claire and Doctor Beep will want to be recording again pretty soon. Anyway, um, we should we really should be doing two podcasts a week. We should be doing a churchy one and then a a coof one every week if we can so we'll try to get with it folks well yeah get on with yep. that Anne. i mean the listener listenership is practically begging for i it, need so. to stop being effeminate and develop my virility yes absolutely make it so number one <laughs> engage <laughs> <laughs> okay feedback the email address for the show if you have any suggestions is podcast at barnhart.biz Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least one mass every day, plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Uh, please uh, pray for the priests that are engaged in this, uh, in this, in this ministry and uh, pray for all priests. They, they, they really need it right now. All of this, uh, uh, it keeps obviously getting worse and worse. Some of it's their, their own fault, I guess, but uh Pray for the priests. Yeah. They, they they really do need it. Um, Satan's forces are uh, just swirling uh, warfare right now. Yep. Uh, Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you get some value of this or previous podcasts and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more information. Uh, as we always say, even though he's not on this recording, he's doing all the work in the background so that you're hearing it uh right now. He also keeps Ant's site going and my site lately. Uh, there's a lot of attacks out there and I think, uh, I think he's backing up about once an hour right now Mm -hmm. because we're pretty, we're pretty sadly confident that, um, it's only a matter of time before, uh, it all goes down. We'll see. Uh, cyber threats, foreign and domestic. And now Anne does her thing for Matthew 17.20. Matthew 17.20, prayer intention, pray every day without ceasing, and um, fast twice a week if you can. And the fourfold intention is that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as an anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time. We're not rooting for anyone's death. In fact, he needs he needs all the time he can possibly get because not only does he have to revert to Catholicism, but he also needs to learn the Catholic faith and be catechized as much as possible. Um, die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision. And Pope Benedict, likewise, that he repent of whatever he might need to repent of, that he die in the state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. Dr. Matza, any last thoughts? Yes, it's not too late to sign up for the church history class and the world history class from 1917 to 1973. 
uh, just go to edmundmaza.com and check out our silly bus of topics. And it is a silly bus. There's there's dramatic <laughs> readings, there's impressions, there's occasional breaking into song. It uh, so I was going to say singing, right? Yep, yep, it is a silly bus. <laughs> you've only you've only missed one you've only missed one class of of each course and you'll get the the video so that you'll be all caught up, but we uh, highly encourage it. It makes for a very entertaining Tuesday and Wednesday evening. You don't have anything better to do. Come on. Absolutely. Get with it, folks. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. The base premise was wrong, obviously.